You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Heidi. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> There's people here. We so. have people today. Right. But warning to the rest of you people, mature audiences only, 18 and up only. Yeah, this is a grown folks affair. That is very true. Listen, we're going to get everything started. We're going to get deep. We're going to get real. We're going to get real deep. Not real quick because I don't know how to swim. I got you. Girl, we got you. Thank you. Dave, please play that track. Did you guys sing that song? Is that you yeah. guys? Boom! Yeah. Yes, Are you serious? Chelsea. Yeah. Oh, stop! Oh it's my god, this her. is so good. She's Yay. amazing. Brainchild. Yeah, She's the- like, can you just say one thing? I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote the music and everything. It's super oh. fun. Oh my god. It's amazing. Yeah. Garage band on, on my phone. It's super helpful. <laughs> Thanks, Apple. I'm not- not worthy. I'm not worthy. This is amazing. Thank you both for sharing your platform with me today. I'm so excited to be here and chat with y'all and be streaming to Facebook and talk. We're going to talk about all the things, I think. We are uh, so yes. excited. Um, it's episode 203 of... What up, people? This is Reasons Why I'm Single. I'm Stacy. I'm Chelsea. Yeah, And I'm Heidi B. And Heidi B. Come on, Heidi B. Come on, y'all ain't ready. Neither was I, and we're gonna talk about it. Yeah. Listen, Stacy, how have your week been? Oh, girl, it's uh, it's been okay. We're still rocking club quarantine. Shout out to DJ Nice, hey. But it's going okay. It's funny. I still take a shower, and I'm like, still not ready to shave my legs. You're welcome, America. <laughs> Live your best life. Live your best life. I just want you to know I did shave mine today for this interview. Even though you could only see me from the shoulders up, I was like, it's time. Also, uh, I, I'm on the West Coast. I'm in Portland, Oregon. And it just we just had a day that was like 80 degrees. And I was like, oh, summer is here. And I was walking the dogs. And I'm like blinding people with the brightness of my skin because I stopped tanning, unfortunately, which I have a whole other set of feelings about. And I was like scraping people as I walked by with my leg hair. So it was time. Even though I was social distancing, I was still reaching them. Listen, I, Chelsea knows I have this whole thing. I call it pale day. So it's mm. the first warm day of the year and you're just blinded by everyone's pale flesh, oh. including my own, because I, this is pale for me right now. Like I'm almost the color of my palms. I'm not ready. So yes. up here in the Pacific Northwest, we're like see-through. We get to be like practically translucent. You just see people's it. hearts and lungs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. But also, I don't know, like, and Chelsea and I talk about this too. I'm like, why, why do white people tan? I I think all white people look like Nicole Kidman because I think she's gorgeous. I'm like, I don't understand why you guys feel the need to tan. I don't. Okay. First of all, that's really funny because Nicole Kidman is literally the one celebrity that until she just did whatever's the show that she just did with all the ladies. It's so good. Okay. Until she just did Big Little Lies, I literally was like, you know what? If Nicole Kidman came up to me and was like, let's hang out. Like, you're so cool. I'd be like, no, thanks. Like, I, I. (laughs) You know what's so funny is I say this to Stacey. I was like, Stacey's like, oh, Nicole Kidman is just so beautiful. I'm like, really? Like, nothing against her, but I feel like she looks like a Stepford wife. She does her face does not move. She's got a lot of Botox. 
I feel like in fairness, she is now, she's great in this recent thing that yeah. she did and like yeah. she's evolved, but like there was a whole period of time there where I was like, who cares? Yeah. Okay. So maybe that. I should say Emma Stone. How about that? Because isn't she a little pale? Yeah, yeah she's yeah, pale. Yeah. She's yeah. okay. Are you? Teasing I mean, Emma Stone? that's the other thing. I mean, Nicole Kidman is super pale. That's true. I. Yeah. If if the point is about paleness, you're right. She has like um the skin that's like Neutrogena colored, basically, or cold cream. <laughs> I've hated so hard on Nicole Kidman. This isn't even fair. I'm like, but I, you know, but I. <laughs> I really didn't know, but Chelsea was like, "No, getting off to a great start." <laughs> Nicole, great. I love you. So if you're listening, I'm here for you. You can invite me over for tea or whatever you drink oh, or your. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out with her. I'm just also not gonna be able to read what emotions she's gonna be like. I'm very happy right now. It's a hard pass for me, but that's. Nicole, just I'm here for you. We can kick yeah. it. I'll buy you chicken. Like it'll be cool. I'll it'll hang, be real. I'll like, hang out with you. That's fine. Her husband Keith. He and I oh, can jam. Right. Oh, I but forgot dude. about that. That would be good. You should you should connect with her to get in touch with him about this music career. Yeah, let's do that. Right? <laughs> and super random, kind of. So with Nicole Kidman, you Chelsea, I remember you saw the um the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon when he didn't realize that Nicole Kidman was into him. And yes. he was like, oh man. So I watched him. Was it last? It was a recorded episode from either last week or a couple weeks ago. And there was a like a TikTok question. And it was, what like famous person could you have gotten with but didn't? And he mm. said, Kate Hudson. So then he had her as a guest and they talk about it. She was like, I was into you, but you weren't into me. I'm like, dang, Jimmy. Oh my Fallon. God. That is the best Jimmy Fallon could. I mean, wow. He missed right? the boat on that one. Big time. Big wow. time. I have a question about TikTok. Actually. My question is this. I feel like there are essentially six moves that are in every TikTok dance. One of them is like this. One of them is like, do, do, you know, like, I just, I can't yeah. do any of them. I'm not that old, but I, you know, and the other thing is I feel like all these TikTok dances are a little bit like, did y'all ever do, uh, we're like, were either of y'all cheerleaders or have cheerleader friends in high school that like, sometimes they would review the routine and they would just do these little T-Rex arms, like do, 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 whatever. And like, they're marking it. Yeah. And they're like mouthing the words. And I feel like, I kind of feel like TikTok is a lot of those, uh, a lot of those little mini movements too. So anyway. That makes a lot of sense. I am not on TikTok though. (laughs) Oh man. So it's like a, I have an account technically, but I haven't posted anything on it. Lies. I posted one thing. I deleted it two days later. So, but like with the different moves and stuff, it's just like when we were kids and we came up with stuff, but I'm Mm -hmm. terrible with choreography. But the Me big too. one they had going on was was it Megan the, the Stallion oh, and Beyonce, and it's like I'm a savage, classy, bougie. Oh, you got it! Like, but <laughs> that's just me rocking back and forth. But if I have to do actual moves, no, no, it's hard. choreography it's is not my strong suit. Me that's either. why I have Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> just say it, Chelsea. I don't think I even asked you how you're doing. Sorry. How are you doing? No. You're fine. I'm doing doing really well. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. What up? It's Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. I never go a day without my mama. What a voice to men. We'll all kick it with you. (laughs) Um, I would definitely do that. I'm really good. I I got to have. I had some. I got some new makeup in the mail, so I um had a video chat with my niece to show her what I got. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, let me show you my makeup. And she's, she's five, by the way. And, <laughs> and because I lived with my brother and my sister-in-law when she was a baby so that I could, my job has me home more when they're at work and um, save on daycare and it saves me on rent. 
And so I would literally get ready and she would sit in my lap and she had her brushes and like, she knew what brushes were what before she knew colors. So like, (laughs) she's like YouTube makeup star in the making. It is happening. That's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. No, and she's hilarious because she's like, she'll, she'll grab a palette and she'll be like, I'm going to use this one. Like, (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile, I'm over here. You're five. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm mid thirties. I'm like, Chelsea, which one do I do first? I <laughs> I've been wearing the same shades of all my makeup for 10 years. I like went to a matte counter once. I was like, what do I need? I need, give me a blush. I can wear every day. <laughs> give me some kind of, I like, I wear four makeup products and I wear them every day. <laughs> one of my friends That's asked me what my like dream birthday party would be. And I was like, legitimately just let me come out. Everybody come over my house. Let me do your makeup. However the heck I want. And then we can like watch movies. And then my wife goes, um, excuse me, if a makeup artist is doing my makeup, we're going out. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to be in someone's wedding. We're crashing something. Like- no, that's true. <laughs> if we get those false eyelashes on, it's who oh, knows yeah. game. Like, who knows my what life. will be going on? Yeah. Changed my life. Was it last year or two years ago? I was in like, I had five weddings and mm-hmm. that lady put those eyelashes on me. I said, girl, who are Bam. you? I know it's like alter ego, right? So good. Hey, Sasha Fierce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my word. Well, people listen, we are thrilled to have the Heidi Bushy on with us. Um, Chels, you want to hit that bio? Yes. Heidi is a speaker, author, and relationship expert. Her first book, Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate, is available now on Amazon and Audible. After years of striking out with guy after guy, Heidi finally bottomed out with men and relationships, and she became ready to do some work. The soul-level work that she did completely transformed her perspective on the accessibility of love and relationships, and she realized that other women, holler, might need (laughs) these tools too. In 2018, Heidi left that cubicle life in order to write her book and pursue her passion, helping women identify and change painful patterns in their relationships. Ladies and gentlemen, speaker, (laughs) author, Ah. fabulousness. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like I said, thank you so much for sharing your platform with me. I'm really thrilled to chat with you guys about the book. It always makes me laugh to even hear people say the title of it because just like with such a, <laughs> such like a roll of the dice to be like, I love it. here's, re- here's literally what this book actually is about. Here we go. <laughs> you know, when we, when we discovered the book, I called Stacy and I was like, Oh my gosh, listen to the title of this book because like, <laughs> The effing randos part is totally me, and Stacy loves cake. And- <laughs> oh my god, my I love Twitter it! Handle. My Twitter handle is Stacy likes cake. It's real. Stop it! That's so cute. I love it. Well, it was like such a, you know, it was really like the book is honestly, it's like half memoir and half how to. And part of the reason I made, I wrote it that way was just because like I want everyone to like I put all my shit on blast so everyone knows like here are some of these are most of the worst decisions I've ever made. And here's what happened to me when I made these decisions. And because in the how-to part, I ask people to get really vulnerable with me and like get real honest about their bad decisions. So I feel like, you know, if I'm going to ask you to do that, I should at least put my shit out there for for you to know that about me. Um, And the funniest part about writing the title was like, I got around to the first half of it really quickly, but then somebody was like, well, are you sure about putting the word cupcaking on there? Cause it's not like a thing that people know, you know, right. but when I first started dating, after I'd done all this work, I started dating the man who's now my husband and a friend of mine was like, Oh, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, Oh, you know, we're just like going to go to dinner and like go see whatever. And they're like, Oh, you're cupcaking. 
you guys are cupcaking. I was like, oh yeah. And like, ever since she said that to me, I'm like, cupcaking is like, that's just where I love living in my relationship. And like cupcaking with my soulmate has been so much fun. And so it was a little risky to put it in the title, but that's what cupcaking is and like why it's there. I love it. Right. (laughs) And honestly, when you were talking, when we first like, you know, e met each other and I saw the jewelry going on, I was like, oh, girl is married. Okay. (laughs) I was like, girl, let me get a cupcake for life. Okay. But like, not the food. I'm already on that train. Can we talk about it? It's all good. It's all good. Quarantine. It doesn't matter. You know what? Honestly, as long as you survive quarantine, you're doing great. So it really doesn't matter. And I have to say, I like hit the junk food hard on the first, um, like really the first month I am like very much food is still a go-to comfort zone for me. So I was like, my stepdaughter was like, what's going on? She came home to our house and I'm like, Oh my God, I got Pringles. I got goldfish. I got, you know, I've got all chocolate covered almonds. I got like, what do you want? And she's like, I don't need any. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to break into these chips and hummus right now. So (laughs) (laughs) you're lost. (laughs) They won't be here tomorrow. You snooze, you lose kid. Right. Right. Well, we're going to jump interesting too, is even though the, um, the name, the title has like, the title has a swirl and all this stuff, but like, um, Stacy and I are like, we're, we've known each other since we were 12 first off. Mm -hmm. So like, but we, we're, we're both on two different kind of, I don't want to say we're on two different tracks completely, mm-hmm. but like Stacy is definitely more innocent than I am in regard to like experience level. Uh-huh. But I don't think, and I, and I will say, I, and I feel like we're all on different points in that level, but mm-hmm. I love and respect the fact that you were super honest on your level, Heidi, because it was like, mm-hmm. I feel like I was like, well, sh- well, shit, if she's going to be real, if she's going to put all this out there, then mm-hmm. like, you know what? Yeah. There's 33 people on my list right now. And most oh my, my God. Yes. So I love that. I love that. I think it's so really approachable. It's a really approachable oh, way to bring up things that are hard to talk about. Yeah. And people are, we're inherently taught to like be embarrassed about. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I mean, I feel like one of the things that was important to me, and I think I say it in maybe the introduction of the first chapter is this, like, look, if randos is fun and you're enjoying it and you're loving it, keep doing it. Like, this is great. 1000% like a judgment-free zone because like I did all kinds of, and some of it was fun and I liked it. And some of it was not fun and I didn't like it. But the point is at some stage, I realized that for me, I wanted to have a long-term relationship. And the only tools that I had to do that was to swipe left or right. Plus I had this experience (laughs) that really like sent me, you know, really bombed out with, which we can totally talk about too. But so in that case, like I came to a decision where I realized I wanted to have a long-term relationship and that I didn't have any tools to do that. And that's where I needed to do some work. So it's like, definitely, you know, one of the things I love about all the advice that's in the book, everything that's in there is like, look, it's a completely judgment-free zone, whether you're into whatever you're into kink or randos or whatever, it doesn't matter as long as you're enjoying it and, and it's honoring what's true for you. Because I spent years denying what was really true for me. And that caused me a tremendous amount of pain. We say that a lot on our show too. We're like, Mm. you want to be, you can be whoever you want sexually. You Mm. want to be a slut? Be a slut. As long as Mm -hmm. nobody's making you be a slut, like (laughs) as long as it's your choice, then be a slut. Like have fun. As long as you're being safe and you're making the decision yourself. Own your truth. That's like people people will virgin shame. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, if you want to wait till marriage, you wait till marriage. That's Mm -hmm. your decision and your body. My choice. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Stacy's waiting till marriage. I think that you know what I think it's so. You're, I would love to hear more about your experience with that because I bet that there's a lot of 
This is so funny. Okay. I was on a different show a couple of months ago and it's a, call, a show called uh, The Art of Losing It. And she asks people about their experiences losing their virginity. And nobody had asked me about that in a long time. And it's actually not in the book. I left it out. And I was talking to her about the fact that I um, lost my virginity, which I thought at 22, which felt late to me. And right before, probably the year before I slept with someone, I remember telling like several guys like, Hey, like I want to do this. And like, you would be the first and they'd be like, no, 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 no. Like nobody would touch me with like a 10 foot ball. And it was very like paternalistic to have men suddenly involved in the decision that I felt like was my own decision. And like really, uh, was surprising experience for me. So I think I just, I agree. I just think like so much of this is about honoring what's true for us and what's authentic for us. And it's so easy to kind of give little pieces of ourselves away along the journey to just feel yeah. good or get a little bit more attention or to feel like we fit in more or to whatever. And then before we know it, there's like no pieces of us left. And we're like, Oh man, where, who am I? And why do I feel so bad? You know? Preach. Yeah. <laughs> that was basically the synopsis of my journey with your book. Like, <laughs> like who am I Chelsea? Uh-huh. It's true. We really did lean on each other because initially how many people were, cause, cause I, I like the fact that it's not just a physical connection because yeah. it's like, even if you, even if nothing ever happened with that person, mm. you had an emotional connection with them. What, what happened there? And it's, Oh man, I got like, I got honest and deep and, and I was crying. Yeah. Oh, it's and, hard. I mean, I am a victim of a sexual assault at a young, at a young age. And I, push that down real deep and realizing literally while we were figuring this out over the last couple of weeks, that that thing that happened so quick and was just mm-hmm. that one time mm-hmm. has literally affected every mm. single relationship. And the fact that I have a tendency to, when God, I'll tell people I love them and mm-hmm. like mean it in my head, at least, or at least in my heart. Mm-hmm. But the second a guy tells me they love me mm-hmm. in my head, I automatically go, Oh no, no, no. You're that's bullshit. I'm unlovable. You yeah. obviously everything you've said has been a lie from this point mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. And I dumped them. And it's like, when it's all on paper, I was like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. it's hard. I screamed a lot. Like I said, okay. So the work that yes. I ended up doing, it took me and the work that I outlined in this book, it took me 11 months to do because I just, was like molasses, especially moving through this kind of inventorying process. Um, just for your listeners that aren't familiar, part of the part of the process, it's a couple of steps in. It's not like the first thing out the gate, but yeah. it's a couple steps in. It's like you start to look at your at your relationships. You start to outline them, um, the physical relationships you had, the emotional relationships you had, and you start to look at like what these patterns are. And some of them you know, right? Some are you're like, oh yeah, I date guys that don't live near me. That was one I knew like right off the bat. But you know, another thing I did was I dated unavailable guys. I can't tell you how many gay guys I fell in love with because they were safe and they were friends of mine and they, you know, and it was so easy to have conversations with. And then I'd wake up my heart broken. Cause I realized like, they are not, they are never going to be attracted to me. Right. Wow. You know, because no. they were just so safe. Right. But every time I wrote another line on that thing and I wrote, had to write again, one more time, this guy was unavailable. And here's why I, I, w- I had this infinity scarf and I would just go, <laughs> just scream because I d- just, there was nothing else to do. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. And back to what you're saying about the format, like you put mm-hmm. all of your stuff out there. So the fact that number one, thank you for being so transparent about your entire journey. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you gave us just all of you in the beginning. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, wow, look at what a beautiful human, you know, she always was. But now that she knows she is for sure. Mm-hmm. And then 
you give us this homework to do these steps to go through. And I'm just like, well, you know what? She just walked me through everything. I want to do it. So when I did it, I was just like me, like waiting until I'm being married and like similar Mm -hmm. to Chels, like I had something like, it wasn't until my early twenties, but Mm -hmm. I, you know, has like thing. physical assault, like forced on me. Uh-huh. And I packed that so deep away. I completely forgot. Yeah. So when I yeah. started making my list, I was just like, I'm about to have maybe three, four people. Cause you know, uh-huh. I don't do much. So put that down. And so then I thought about it more and I was like, Holy crap, I have eight whole people, which I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting to have. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. my first time talking to Chelsea, she goes, what about that awful thing that happened? I'm like, mm-hmm. I completely forgot about that. And when I was Mm -hmm. looking at my list, like the first two were so like sweet and cute Mm -hmm. and innocent. And then Mm -hmm. all the ones after that were just strictly like physical and toxic. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I forgot all about that Chelsea. Then I put it in there. I'm like, Oh, that's the switch that turned me toxic. So, and just like Chelsea said, you were forced to stare all of your issues. Like they're just in your face. face. Oh my goodness. Well, I think it's such a big deal to take the opportunity to look at like our trauma sometimes too, right? Like some of us have trauma, some of us don't. And for those of us that do, it's like really important, I think, to look at it, to know that, you know, in the matrix that's provided with the book, there's a column where you can write down the stuff that you're responsible for. Like, oh, you know, like I was childish or I lied in this really, or I was jealous or whatever. And I always think it's important to remember, like if we are, have some kind of trauma or neglect that we experience as children, as whenever we experience it, that there's a lot that we don't have a part in that, right? Like we don't have a part in being assaulted and we don't have a part in being neglected as kids or whatever. And that the only responsibility that we have as adults is to go, okay, look, I can acknowledge that this happened and now I got to unpack it. If I want to have some, it, it, it undoubtedly affects the way that I relate with people. And now I got to unpack it a little bit and I might need to have, I might even need to go talk to a therapist about it or something like that, but I at least need to look at it and go, wow, this really affected or distorted the lens through which I view relationships. And so that's really powerful to hear both of you talk about your experience with that matrix and with that inventory process is so powerful to me because, you know, as I was writing this, I'm like, it was painful to, well, the work was painful to do period. And then a couple of years after that, I decided to write the book. And then I had to kind of go back to some of the painful stuff Mm. and write it out again. And I was like, Oh my God. All right, here we go. You know? And there's a thing that kind of always keeps me going, which is that like, if that I know that my experience makes me uniquely qualified to help one other person at least. And if me putting all my shit on blast, (laughs) Stacey's resident. Maybe. <laughs> and <laughs> if me putting all my shit on blast help, helps at least one other woman feel like she's not alone, like doesn't even help her get over it, right? Just helps her feel like she's not alone. Right. Then like, that's enough for me. That's enough for me to put all my shit in this book and give my mom a copy, <laughs> give my brother oh. a copy. You know, my brother was like, it's kind of weird to read this, but I'm going to read it and I'm going to write you a review. And it's funny about, you know, <laughs> like to give my, you know, my dad's long, my dad's long gone. So I didn't have to worry about what his reaction would be to it. But a lot of times I talk to women who are thinking about writing um, memoirs or books or something that's deeply personal to them. And they're like, how's my family going to feel about this? I'm like, yeah, that's a valid concern. I totally understand that. But I want you to think about this. Think about the woman out there who needs to hear your story so that she knows she's not the only one. Right. Yeah. And that is yeah. like some real fuel for purpose. You um, better preach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking about the book, I wrote, I mean, I clearly like overwrote down. I was very excited to talk to you. But <laughs> and the feeling is mutual. I'm very excited to talk to both of you. I'm Can like, we just do like a four hour interview? How long are we going to be? <laughs> Dave's like, I have a cutoff time. 
Mountains Podcast Detroit. We love you. Um, first thing is I love your footnotes. I love the footnotes. They are hilarious. And so, so succinct. Also, like, do not be ashamed about bad mouth in Ohio because. Listen, I, I can't. I was born in Toledo, Ohio, but raised in oh Michigan. God. I'm very much a Michigan girl, so I don't talk crap about Ohio. But like, <laughs> oh yeah, but everyone else does. No, there was... There's this terrible joke about if you could end this pandemic by giving away one of the states of the union, um, which would you pick and why is it Ohio? Yeah, or Florida. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand percent. Uh, here's the thing about Ohio. It is the largest, it is so hard to it's drive so across in Ohio. It is so long. Uh, secondly, Toledo, I am amazed that you are from there, that you were born there because I have a special place in my heart for Toledo. For some reason, there's like a, somebody who was in the show MASH owns a hot dog joint in Toledo, yes! right? Yes! Who is that guy? Tony, it's his name, Tony, Tony Pacos. Tony, Tony Pacos. Okay. So my dad was obsessed with Tony Pacos. I remember every Thank time you. that he drove me to Pittsburgh, we would have to stop at fucking Tony Pacos to like have <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, seriously. So yes, also, I will tell you that one of the guys that I was obsessed with that was unavailable to me because he had a girlfriend who I used to go, we used to take 40s to our hands and play Edward 40 hands. Edward 40 hands. From, oh, he was from Youngstown. I thought he was from Toledo, but he was from Youngstown. I have family so. in Youngstown. You're, there we go. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This one company I worked at. So our main, uh, it was a global company and the main hub was in Dubai. So we had two mm-hmm. people from Dubai come to our office in Michigan. So they would take road trips because it was their first time being mm-hmm. in the States. Oh, yeah. So, the one was like, well, we wanted to go to D.C., but then we realized it's a 10-hour trip, and we'd have to drive through Ohio. How are you from Dubai, <laughs> and you have jaded opinions about Ohio? You're already like, no what? fucking way. <laughs> That's really funny. That's amazing. Oh, my word. So, yeah, um, I got that, and I was like, she's not even from where we're from. And she's like. <laughs> oh, gosh. Chelsea. I got a question for you. Do we need to take care of business or do you want to follow like the Mr. Husband format? I mean, I kind of, I, we normally do our fake names. We pick a show and we, anytime we reference someone, we use a name from a show. So it'll be like, yes, when I was dating, like from Grey's Anatomy, be like, uh, Dr. Christina Yang. And (laughs) and that kind of a thing. But, um, yeah, we can do that unless you want to like stick with the Mr. Mr. Ireland and all that. Cause that's hilarious. We completely resonated with that. <laughs> yes. Oh so let's God. do that. So all right. fabulous listeners, when you do uh, get this book, read it, listen to it, all that other stuff, we are following the fabulous format that she used, putting Mr. and then a certain adjective to describe that person. So Yeah, I had to protect people's anonymity because I felt like That's- it's one thing for me to decide to put all this out there, but these guys, I obviously did not consult them. <laughs> Their opinions exactly. did not matter to me. Which is 100% why we do this. And yeah. we've actually had we've actually had guys find out that we've done this and be like, you need to take down that episode. And we're like, we didn't use your name. Not gonna who, do it. Who are you? <laughs> who are, are you? Because they know <laughs> my name. But who are you? Um, I'm not gonna delve this situation. That you brought up that if you had found or if you wrote this book in your 20s and you had done all of the work, you wouldn't have gotten out of, of this what you did when you were finally like ready. Yeah. And I yeah. 100% agree because I spent my 20s being like, I'm ready. Where is he? I'm 
like, <laughs> and I actually went to church with a friend in Florida and the guy was flat out like, ladies, you bring the debt to relationships. Like your, your soulmate's not going to show up if you're not ready for them. If they're not ready for you, there's mm-hmm. another person involved in this. So get yourself right. And mm-hmm. I was like, is this me? I, I need to get myself right. But like, <laughs> I literally would have filled this whole thing out and been like, when it gets to the, what did you, what you're culpable for in relationship, uh-huh. it's just hard to admit fault. And it, oh God, so, yes. <laughs> like so the fact that I realized that like half my relationships, I either am miss fix it where I'm like, no, 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 I can hold on. We can fix this. Yes. Even though like, they're like, there's a ticking time bomb behind you. It's going to blow up. You're like, I, I went to like school. Guy, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, have, I have a paper clip. A box, need a toothpick. Need yeah. <laughs> I'm the MacGruber to MacGyver, but I'm going to yes. make it work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we were saying like, there's no way we would have gotten out of this, what we were looking for. So it is it's really cool that you acknowledge that too. You're like, I could have done this when I was in my twenties and I wouldn't even, it would yeah, I don't good. think I would, I don't think I was ready. I really don't think I was ready for anything in my twenties. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's like, I don't know what I think. I got married to the first time when I was 24, which like in retrospect, I'm almost 40 now. And I cannot fucking believe that I got married when I was 24. It's so young. I just feel like I just, if I could like bang the drum, like nobody get married in their twenties, don't do it. Like, just don't, you just, just don't, just don't, just don't do it. Cause like, you don't know who you are. You don't, haven't had any experiences. You haven't, you know, even if you've had some experiences, you haven't had enough experiences. Like yeah. just don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, that's just my, that's my opinion. You know? And I like, here's the thing, right? Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. So my opinion is that we should get married in the twenties, but like, if you want do you, you know, but I was not right. ready to, um, I wouldn't have been ready to do the work that was in this book until I was ready to do it, you know? Right. And it's funny because I was just talking to someone not too long ago about uh, my brother, Mr. Bruh. That's what I call him. Because if you ever watched Fast and the Furious and mm-hmm. God bless like Paul Walker's soul. But in the second one, when it's him and Rome, he goes, Rome, bruh, what's wrong? So I always call my brother, bruh. So Mr. Bruh, he, he and his wife, they got married when he was 24. And I remember uh-huh. when I turned 24 and I was just like, ain't no way on God's green earth. Am I, <laughs> am I ready for this? No way. No and way. Like with my, my brother's like the only, him and his wife are the only people that I know that got married so young, but they were mm-hmm. like in it and like, they're mm-hmm. still married and they have mm-hmm. beautiful children. I'm their favorite auntie. Of Thank course. You. I know that's so funny. My brother got married very young as well. My brother and his wife have been together since they were 19 and they're like, and they got married pretty young, but they didn't get married when they were 19. I guess they probably got married. I can't remember when they got married actually, but they got married youngish and they have like two kids now and they're like, you know, super happy. But I just, it was not for me. And like, and the first time I got married, really what was going on in my life was like really literally like a rolling dumpster fire. Like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And like out of nowhere came this tall, thin Irish guy who was like, I'll take yeah. care of you. Kind yeah. of. Kind of. I love Ireland. <laughs> I went to Ireland. I first met in Ireland. Met this guy and everything. And I was oh no, this is my Irish. Like I connected to your story so bad, but thankfully, at the end of the night, he was like, "Do you do cocaine?" I was like, ooh, I don't. <laughs> we almost had forever, baby. We almost had it. <laughs> almost, almost. You know, I mean, it was just like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And so when he showed up in my life and was like, I can kind of take care of you. I mean, he said he could take care of me. And I was like, please, someone take care of me. Um, yeah. That uh, I, I I was like, it seemed like a, a, a lifesaver, like a life preserver had been thrown to me. And then um, immediately it was like my life immediately shifted from me fucking up my own life all the time to me just walking on eggshells constantly 
I don't know if I wrote about it in the book, but I did. I, I, I don't know if you would remember either, but I baked a lasagna for him once. Did I talk about yes. that in the book? Yes, oh, you God. did. <laughs> yes, you did. Evidence. No. Oh my God. I mean, it I didn't, it can't even be in the garbage. I can't. No. <laughs> It has to be like at the bottom of the street. I So I made this, I was like trying to play wife, right? And I had been walking on eggshells and it felt like everything I was doing was wrong. And we're living in a foreign country. Oh, and we're secretly married. Nobody knows we're married, not even his friends. Right. So it's like, oh my God. So <laughs> just giving away pieces of myself over and yeah. over again. So yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do this wifely thing. I'm going to make a lasagna, you know? And so of course I'm like, I'm the kind of person that's like, I'm going to make a lasagna. How hard could this be? Walk over <laughs> to the store, grab the stuff start making it. You know, I like put the, you know, brown the meat and like do the sauce. And I put the noodles on. I'm like, Oh, these are crunchy. Okay. Yeah. I just put the, they're going to get soft in the, I didn't bake the noodles before I put them on lasagna because I just felt like, Oh, you just It'll put them in there. It was like all this, right? there's all this juice in here. There's cheese, there's meat juice. Like it's all right. <laughs> right. Which is also the title of my memoir. Meat juice. <laughs> a virgin's exploration in <laughs> yes, <laughs> so anyway i'd done all these things to, like guess at how to make a lasagna and i guessed incorrectly and so then i like scraped it out of the pan threw it in the in the garbage and i was like oh my god i gotta throw this pan out threw the pan in the garbage and i was like i gotta throw this garbage out you can't see this which like in a healthy and normal and loving relationship this would be hilarious this would be right. a hilarious story, right? Like if he and I had like a resilient and safe relationship, I, he would have come home from work and I'd be like, oh my God, guess what I did to this lasagna. But because our relationship was so toxic and it was so uncomfortable for me and it was just so scary, I had to like get rid of every single shred of evidence that I had even tried to attempt making this food, you know? So like I ended up throwing it in the big garbage bin outside the house. And then I ended up wheeling that to the curb outside. So, that, <laughs> so you know, but it was just a wild um, and a good example of the fact that like, really, he and I uh, never could surface with one another and talk about what was really going wrong. And it was much more about the veneer of like, perfection, we have cars, we have house, we have we travel, all this stuff. And, um, and it really was like suffocating. How Man. long were you married to Mr. Ireland? Five years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That is a long time. time. Uh, There's a couple of reasons I was married to him for five years. First of all, uh, I didn't listen to my intuition the very day, the day before my wedding, I knew I should not be getting married to this guy. And I really was like, you know, my my parents came to our wedding because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. So they came to um, watch us get married in the courthouse. I wore a white suit from Banana Republic. Okay. It was, I don't know what year it was. It was 2005. So, okay. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing is what it was. I was waiting outside of the Banana Republic to pick up the suit because they were making alterations. And I remember sitting there on this, on this bench in the mall with my mom. We're eating an Auntie Annie's pretzel and having a Diet Coke. And I'm <sighs> like, why? Oh my God. I love an Auntie Annie's pretzel. So good. <laughs> Oh, that was the last think- place Chelsea and I went before this pandemic hit. We went to the mall say- to get pretzels. Girl, you guys are my people. I feel yes. like would Auntie Annie's please deliver via Uber Eats? Like I just need those pretzel uh, bites. They- I believe Grubhub does, I think. Uh, One yes. of them, DoorDash. And they have a, a DIY pretzel kit that you can buy. I don't know if I want to DIY it. I hate making my I own don't food. know either. I don't know either. But <laughs> it just, a girl just might bang. It's like, why is a sandwich a always better when someone else makes it? A sandwich is always better when someone else makes it. I have no doubt a pretzel will be the same. So my mom and I are sitting on this bench. And I remember thinking like, mom, 
why are you not telling me that I should not be, when is she going to tell me like, you know, oh, wow. and she minded her own business and she left, you know, my mom has always really let me make my own mistakes. And, um, this was a mistake I made. And so I was involved, you know, I was in this relationship for a long time. And because we had this kind of veneer of perfection, it was hard for me to really get down through the denial of like, wow, this is actually really painful and I'm suffocating and I'm dying here. And, um, what started, and I was also in love with the idea of this whirlwind romance. So, you know, my oh, ex-husband yeah. and I, we met at a wedding. We did that, you know, it was like so whirlwind. We dated long distance and then we moved in together. And then like, in a, you know, within eight months we were married to each other. And so I really like, really was committed to this story of like, we have a whirlwind romance and it was a secret, but now it's not. And like all these, all this drama around it. And then eventually one day I just realized like, you know, the day that I left my ex-husband, Mr. Ireland, I, I realized like, if I do not do this today, I will never be able to find the courage to do this. I am right. packing a backpack full of my shit and I'm telling him that I am leaving him and I'm going to my friend Krista's house. And I don't know what I'm going to do from there, but I'm not coming back to this house. I don't care if he takes the house, the furniture, I don't care what he takes. And we're not even talking about a man who was physically abusive to me, right? Like I, he never raised a hand right. to me, but the emotional pain that I was in from the, our inability to connect as humans and love one another and even really like one another was enough that I was willing to walk away from literally everything we owned because I could not stand the idea of dying this like slow, long, suffocating emotional death with him. Um, and so, you know, I came home the night that I left him and I told him like, I need to talk to you. And he was watching Grey's Anatomy, ironically. And I'm like, you need to pause this. And he was like, not really that interested in pausing it. And I'm like, so you need to pause this. I'm leaving you. And like, we had a little bit of an argument about it. Um, but really within 15 minutes, I left the house and said like, I need some space to process this. Like, I'm not going to argue with you. Don't come to where I'm at. Don't like, this is not like quote unquote worth fighting for. Like I, it's not that it wasn't worth fighting for, but the, the phrase around that's a, I'm really digressing on this. I'm sorry. It's getting so You're serious, fine. but Welcome you know, to um, show. <laughs> it's all but there is, there's language around breakup and I feel like men use it a lot more than women do around like, isn't, don't you think this is worth fighting for? Mm. I've had men say that to me and I don't know if I've ever said that to someone. And I think it's a way that um, sometimes people try to undermine um, your assuredness of your decision. Like, no, just because I'm walking away doesn't mean I think this is worthless. It just means like, I'm not going to fight with you right now about it. And like, we're not in a good space to have this discussion anymore. So anyway, it's a long story, but I eventually um, was able to, to get out of that marriage and start living a, a different life, you know? And that was, that was amazing. Yeah, no, I'm like, I, I'm first off, I'm super proud that you actually like recognized you needed to leave and then just made the decision and stuck with it. Cause there are, yeah. there are many people out there, men, women, Ooh, the back and forth is just, place yeah. And then they're like, well, I don't know, maybe I should try and all this. It's yeah, it's super. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so I, I, not to get, I'm, I'm, I'm getting deep. So but let's get deep. I love you're, it. You're we promised that we were going to, <laughs> right. We did. We did. <laughs> your, your dad passed away when you were 28. Yeah. And so you were married to Mr. Ireland at that point. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did, do you think that that had something to do with you making that change? That's a great question. You know, um, I really think that some of the toughest things that relationships can withstand or sustain are the loss of a parent and probably the loss of a child. And um, the loss of the grief that I experienced over the loss of my dad is like nothing I have really ever experienced. And um, it was it was very certainly a catalyst. It was, uh, let's see, he died in 2008. My dad died in 2008. I left my marriage in 2010. So it definitely got the ball rolling. Um, because I, in part, because my ex-husband did not handle 
any of it very well. Um, like he was like in Portland when I flew home to Iowa, he was not with me when my dad died. When he came to Iowa, he was not very helpful. (laughs) Like there were, there were some things that were that, you know, I wish he would have done differently. There's some things I wish I would have done differently, but I also really did get to start to examine my life. Like, wow. You know, there is like a mortality check of like, holy what's going on. The other thing that started to happen for me, you know, my dad died from his alcoholism. So he drank himself to death. And uh, my mom also is an alcoholic. She's 22 years sober. Right. So I had a very stark. Oh yeah. She was still good. Yeah. In April, April 12th is her sobriety date. She just celebrated 22 years this year. So that is really an incredible, I mean, that story is such a, it's well, that story is just like to repair the relationship that she and I have repaired over the 22 years. It did not happen immediately. And I actually share that a lot with women who are moms who are sober, who are like, Oh my God, but now I'm sober. And my 15 year old hates me. And I'm like, look, it's going to take a minute. Like it's going to take a minute. I was very angry with my mom when she got sober because in part, because it was like, obviously my dad was alcoholic. I didn't know what the fuck my mom was doing and like why she had to get sober and then why they had to get divorced. And then why, you know, I was very angry with her and it really took like, I will say six years at least for us to start for me to start to understand part of that was because I had to grow up. I was 17 when that happened. Right. So it took me until my early twenties to really understand the kind of sacrifice that she made in order for her to choose her life. Yeah. You know? Um, so looking at both of my parents drinking and like looking at how, what it looks like for somebody to actually drink themselves to death, um, had, had me starting to question my own drinking. Um, and my ex-husband was often in my ear of like, you're crazy. Like you don't drink like that. You know, like he really did not like the idea of me exploring what my drinking looked like or questioning that. Um, and so eventually what I ended up, you know, I don't know, I don't know that the drinking had a lot to do with. I don't know. I was not sober when I left my ex-husband. I, I left my ex-husband when I was 30. And then I spent an entire year really drinking the way that I wanted to, um, until I got sober, until I got sober at 31. So, um, so, you know, yeah, I, I do think that losing my dad and the grief that came with that was certainly a catalyst for like, like for understanding that I had like these big feelings and that I was suddenly in this place. It suddenly really mattered that I was in a marriage where I wasn't allowed to talk about my feelings. That is very frustrating. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And like prior to that, I really hadn't cared that much about talking about our feelings because like it didn't, it was like, okay, whatever, no big deal. But suddenly I had these huge feelings and I found myself in a place where it was like not okay to have feelings where like the Irish way was to be like the Irish way and my ex-husband's way. I don't know. I'm sure there are Irish people who feel their feelings. But my ex-husband was very much like, we don't feel, we just push everything down until yeah. it comes out of our toes, you know? And, um, and that was like, I'm going to die if I have to do that. Like I, yeah. I'm going to have to yeah. drink more. And also I'm just going to like, this is not going to work, you know? Man, you're, uh, you're telling the truth. Cause like for <laughs> me and my upbringing, like we didn't communicate, we didn't talk about mm-hmm. feelings. So whatever I was mm-hmm. feeling, I would just, you know, cry or be angry. And then tomorrow's a new day. So yes. Oh my God. I used to say like, we talk about news, weather and sports at home. And if you had any feelings and you like, let them out, you like said, you said something at the dinner table, like, Oh, I hate this. And then you like got up, slammed your chair, went to your room. And then like, we never discussed it again. Like there was no. Correct. (laughs) Correct. 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 That is a thousand percent correct. I had a very big fight with like my elementary school best friend and mm-hmm. it caused me to just walk around with like a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the next day after school, I grabbed the teddy bear again. And my mom was like, you're not over that yet. Like, <laughs> like and I was like, like, I just, 
I'm working on it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's hilarious. And like my mom, she was raised the same way. Like it's just a, like through mm-hmm. generations, like her and her mother, they never talked about feelings. Right. So when I went through my first heartbreak at mm-hmm. like what, 24, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. So I'm just crying. And I'm like, mom, can I go with you to church? So I get in the car and I cannot stop sobbing. And she's Aww. just driving. She's like, this is wonderful. I said, oh my God, what is wrong with you? <laughs> she goes, I got to do this with my mom. You just keep crying. <laughs> she loved it because she had never been exposed to like someone being vulnerable about their feelings. And for me, yeah. I've never done that with someone, let alone mm. my parents before. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I couldn't keep it in, it was forced to come out. My mom was thrilled because she was like, this is not what we do, but oh, this is so nice. <laughs> oh, isn't this nice? You're like, oh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Right. Just dying. <laughs> I I love the, I love, I'm going to go jump back to like the beginnings of the book Mm -hmm. because I love the fact that you likened the entire process kind of to a 12 step program and that it really is like, you have to, you got to get it out. You have to admit to everything you have to own more and then you have to forgive it, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a hard part. That's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, I loved that you wrote, I assume that I'm wallpaper, wallpaper to people and Mm -hmm. that like, I, I am an extremely outgoing person. Like this quarantine has very, very much hurt the extrovert in me because (laughs) I can have a good conversation with a brick wall, but like, (laughs) like our, our extroverts are not okay. All you introverts got to check on your extrovert friends because we are, (laughs) we are having a, we're having feelings about it. We're having problems. Um, but I, I also, you have this, I make the assumption that no matter mm-hmm. how big of a personality I am, that people mm-hmm. won't remember me. I know. So I reintroduce myself to people all the time. So I'm like, it's no, so. it's fine. You, you wouldn't have ever remembered me. My name's Chelsea. Like, yeah. yeah. So I read that, like, I assume that I'm wallpaper to people. And I felt that so yeah. deep, like, yeah. wow. Like I just blend into the walls. I think that is part of why people end up becoming so look at me. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was a really, that's a big part of my story is that I just always felt like nobody would remember me or that I, I was just like invisible to people. Uh, and I used to do that a lot. I'd reintroduce myself all the time. People were like, duh, like you're very distinctive voice. Like you right. have pretty, like your hair's crazy. Like we know who you are, you know? Um, and I just never, amazing. okay. <laughs> the curls are really they're doing something i'm i'm it took me years to figure out how to do curls you know i just you better preach give me all the curl product give me all the curl products uh the last show i was on these girls were like could you live without a flat iron or without some and i'm like i could live without a flat iron but i'm gonna need a bunch of curl (laughs) products Yeah, and something for my edges. That's yeah. what I need. <laughs> um, so yeah, I always assumed that I was wallpaper, that no one would remember me. And now it's so funny because I've really shifted gears. I, I think that my, you know, through the work that I've done and that I continue to do, I'm like, no, I am, I'm Heidi B and people are going to remember me. And like, I, there is nothing more offensive to me now, actually. Men do this to me all the time, actually. There are at least three men I can think of off the top of my head that have been, that we've met, that we have had conversation. They know who I am and they'll be like, Oh, nice to meet you. And I'll be like, you're dead to me. Dead to me. I don't. 
Do you know how many? Do you know how many men are out there who would literally not take that shit? I know. I you know exactly who I am. You you a thousand percent know who I am. Uh, I feel like I have a zero tolerance policy now for, especially for men. From women, I give a little more grace too because we're busier. We got all kinds of we're running businesses, raising babies, doing all kinds of stuff. So. And then I love when um, you got the note from Brad. Oh yeah, was and this reminds me of Stacy's uh, first boyfriend because literally you're like, um, did I want to date Brad? Yes. Do I know who Brad's? Do Do I think he's cute? Uh, I have no clue who he is. <laughs> me all. Tell day. me what happened to you. Tell. I want to hear your story. So this is another one where I thought I just had eight people after, no, I thought it was going to be three to four, did some work, I had eight people. After Chelsea and I's final conversation, I had 17 people. I was not expecting that. Was not expecting that. And Chelsea pointed out like one of my patterns. So she pointed out, she's like, did you put your first kiss on there? I'm like, no. She's like, why? I'm like, because it was just like something that happened. It was fine. She's like, did you put your first boyfriend on there? I'm like, no, she's like, <laughs> why not? I'm like, I don't know. So Stacey like, has the best selective memory. She's like, um, I literally, uh, my list starts at five years old. Okay, <laughs> man. So mine started initially. Mine just started like uh, junior year of high school, but mm-hmm. then once I had a good friend Chelsea to talk to, <laughs> now mine started in junior high. <laughs> so gosh, we were thirteen, like twelve, thirteen yeah, in yeah. seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And so there's this guy, never knew who he was. We'll call mm-hmm. him Mr. First Boyfriend. Yeah. So <laughs> didn't know who he was. He left a note in my locker. Do you want to be my girlfriend? I said, no, because I didn't know like anything <laughs> what that meant. about him. With our <laughs> upbringing, we grew up in like a predominantly white neighborhood in the mm-hmm. suburbs. So I was one of like 10 black Wait, kids oh. in our graduating <laughs> class of 560. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we know who each other is, but I knew nothing about this guy. So he's like, like, I need to see some receipts first. Thank you. We have cell phones yet, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, so I said no. And then later on, Mr. First boyfriend in some class, he peed his pants apparently. (gasps) And Uh he was super embarrassed. Mm -hmm. So, um, my, my best friend at the time, she was like, Hey, if Mr. Boyfriend asks you out again, you should say yes, because he's going through a really hard time right now. (laughs) And I was like, you are absolutely right. I absolutely That would make me such a nice yes. person. That would make me the nicest person if I did that. Right. Right. That would make me so, the nicest. Yes. Right. Halo. So we dated for three days and then three he broke days. up with me. And I was like, good for me. I really helped him out. Like, <laughs> But then to see that pattern of I and Chelsea helped me help point this out to me. Mm-hmm. Number one with like. Mr. First Boyfriend and Mr. First Kiss with mm-hmm. me, I do things that I know I'm supposed to do. Like I'm just checking out uh, the box. Supposed so I'm like, to do I, it. Good, I was like, mm-hmm. I got good grades. I went mm-hmm. to college. I mm-hmm. got a good job. I started a career. But if you ask me if my passion was any, in any of those things, mm-hmm. it's so interesting. What did Stacey oh. tell her what you said after your first kiss? <laughs> All right, that's done. <laughs> <laughs> check. Basically, <laughs> check. <laughs> I mean, there is some real sweetness, like some real, like sweet childhood innocence that I love that so much, but I also love the efficiency, like 
check, check, check. Yep. I worked with this. Um, I worked with this therapist for a long time. Actually, I was really grateful to work with this therapist and, and he read a copy of the book. He was a beta reader for the book, which was great. Cause I'm like, look, I'm not a, I don't have, I, I have a master's degree, but it's in political science. It's not in, uh, uh, counseling or, you know, whatever. I'm writing a lot about stuff. That's like kind of in the therapist counseling space. So it was useful to me to have an actual therapist, uh, uh, a. uh, sorry, a credential, like he had a, a doctorate in um, psychology, read wow. this, you know, and he like kind of basically gave me the, I was going to publish it anyway, but he like gave me, he was like, wow, this is really good. Um, but he used to talk to me a lot about the, something called the linear social script, which is the kind of checking the box, graduate high school, go to college, get the job, find the man, get the wedding, have the kids, get the white picket fence and just how unfulfilling that can be. And the cultural construct around the linear social script is really intense. Like it's hard to go, fuck this. I want to have a podcast. I want to have a side hustle. I want to be a freelancer. I want to, I trust, I trust myself enough to know that I can make ends meet. I do not have to conform to this prescription of here's how we do life now, because it's more important for me to live in my purpose and feel fulfilled and feel like enthusiastic, inspired, joyful in the majority of my days, not every day. Right. And to trust yeah. myself that like, I'm resourceful. I will find a way to pay the bills. Like if that means I need to like drive Uber a couple nights or whatever, maybe I will. If that means I need to, you know, if that means I need to give the book away to a couple of people, that's fine too. If that means I need whatever I got to do, you know? And so, um, I love that, that, that actually took our conversation to the linear social script, the idea of just being very efficient and checking off first kiss done first boyfriend done. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's so funny because it's so ingrained in like in, in everyone's social assumptions, like, Oh, you live in the suburbs. Oh, you should be married by the time you're 30. Like, yeah, it's crazy yeah, that like that's... when we started to, when Stacey and I started talking about it, we literally were like, I'm like, and then this happened. And it's because of this. <laughs> Every conversation now, like Today, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to get, get a snack. I think I'm going to eat broccoli because I haven't vegetables in like three days. And I'm like, but wait, why am I eating broccoli? Am I doing that so I can check off my fruits and veggies thing? Or do I actually have a craving for broccoli? Am I doing this because I want people to know that I'm eating okay and I need to cut down on my carbs? Or is it because I actually want it? I, I love it. The self-examination. Right? So good. So um, good. I love your screen name from, a from AIM. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So Stacey and I are pre two or maybe three episodes ago. It was our 200th episode. So three episodes mm -hmm. ago, we were talking about the two thousands because we just felt like that was going to be, so the why not? It's amazing. It's and, the best um, decade ever. But yeah, you have, and I loved it. Like when you wanted to be straight edge, you just added X's. <laughs> so I was rolling. <laughs> and I'm like, cause mine is, mine is Giglet 101. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. And mine is GS bouncer for E. Oh, hey, I like it. That sounds like muscles, muscles from Brussels. You're like, oh, hey, Stacy did not have muscles then. Fun fact. I love yeah. it. I was, uh, I was obsessed with, at that stage, I was obsessed with the, uh, I don't know how old, I feel like I'm older than you guys. I'm 39. How old are you guys? 35. We're, yeah. I'm going to be 35. <laughs> okay. All right. We're, you guys are younger than me, but not that much younger. So, okay. No, not so, that much. Very relatable. Um, I was uh I was obsessed with the series of films by Kevin Smith, right? So Chasing Amy, yeah. Mall Rat, Mall Rats. Now I can't yeah. think of the third, the one in, that takes Clerks. place in Pittsburgh. Clerks. I I loved Mall Rats. I was like okay about Clerks. I was kind of okay about Chasing Amy, but Mall Rats was kind of the sweet spot for me. And then the next one I think was Dogma, where they Dogma. Yeah, 
So I was obsessed with those. And in mall rats, there's this scene where like somebody's trying to make like electronic music, like, and so U N N T Z two eighteen. I just randomly selected two eighteen, but that was like how I thought you would spell the word the the sound. I love that. Just like. I'm like not a club kid. We just talked about how I can't even TikTok, but like by the sound of my AOL name, you would have thought that I was like up in the rave scene. Like, I mean, you look like a DJ right now, like <laughs> DJ Pushy. Murmur. The- <laughs> 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 I'd buy oh it. I would. I do it. feel I'll like I'm here for these DJs that are wearing stuff over their heads, so that they're like making all this money, but nobody knows who they are. That's like kind of the sweet spot of rich and famous, right? Like, I want to be famous enough someday that I make a lot of money and I don't have to worry about it, but I don't need paparazzi chasing me down. Cause I'm not trying to like get made up before I leave the house. Like, did you see this thing about Kylie Jenner last week where she left her house looking like a regular human? And then everyone was like, and then everyone was like, Oh my God, who is that person at Kylie Jenner's house? And it was Kylie Jenner at her house, but just like looking like a regular person. Oh my gosh. Listen, you can't tell me like during this pandemic. Cause I went to the store yesterday cause I wanted to mm-hmm. make stuff to give to my parents. Well, for my mom for mother's day dinner. Mm-hmm. And so I got a new mask from a small, small business owner. So Cute. you can tell me, I was like new mask, who this? So I put <laughs> on like my mask and sunglasses. I'm like, I am like famous right now. Basically also, famous right now. Right. And I don't need to wax my upper lip because I got this mask on. So I anything. killing it right now. I <laughs> love it. I love that you made the decision before you even went to college. So like, you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to stay in Iowa. Bye-bye. Right? Yes, I- <laughs> and then, so then you met the guy in Denver and you were flying on a college budget. From yes. Pittsburgh to Denver? Like, yeah. Um, okay, here is actually how that happened. That's a very good question, but here's how that happened. Okay, so I arrived at the University of Pittsburgh's campus uh, in 1998. Now, there was a thing that was happening at campuses at that stage, which I don't know if was still happening when y'all went to school or if it still happens now. I think it's illegal now. But at the time, you could get a free t-shirt if you filled out a credit card application. So all these kids, right? All these freshmen, we arrive on campus. Everybody's like, oh, you got that fresh fresh student loan money that you're like kind of living on. You got a little bit of whatever you did from your summer job, waiting tables. You know, it's September. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, I need a free t-shirt. Let me fill out that credit card. Yep, that one. Okay. Oh, I want a shot glass. Absolutely. Here's my information for Chase. So I did a little bit of that. So I had mostly credit is the point, uh, is all to say, mostly credit. (laughs) But at the time, yeah, I had this boyfriend from high school that I was kind of like, man, He'll do. Right. And uh, we're kind of just like, (laughs) you're fine. You're checking a few boxes. Um, You have a pulse. Yeah. And (laughs) actually, I mean, one of the things that was the hardest about that was that when I got real honest with myself, I realized that I had been using him for access to his friends that like, I was kind of, I mean, he was like, okay, but I was really hoping to like trade up and uh, (laughs) it is. It's a real thing. I know I'm not the only teenage. First of all, I know I'm not the only woman who's ever thought about trading up. And secondly, I know I'm I'm certainly not the only 17 year old that ever thought about it. So, um, so anyway, he and I were like kind of going back and forth and we went back and forth to each other's. He was in a Greek letter organization and so was I. And so we went back and forth occasionally. I mean, maybe two or three times, but still, yeah, it was, it was pretty baller to be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to throw this on a credit card and go out to Denver. Yeah. (laughs) Still paying it off. (laughs) Dude, still paying for it. (laughs) <laughs> Tell me about it. No, because um, I, I super resonated with your college experience, not flying to Denver, but no, I, um, I think when I finally went, went away to college, I like actually showed a little bit more of who I really actually mm. was. 
because nobody knew me. I could be whoever I wanted to. And so I was like the first day of college, I was in marching dance. My first day I met this guy and I, and he was 20, I was 17 and he was 24. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I fell head over heels, over heels, over heels. And it was such a toxic relationship. And he was cheating on me with everyone. And I had no I mean, idea. You think about it now, you're 34 years old. You're like, what kind of 24 year old dates right? a 17 year old, right? Like right? our perspective changed. But when you're 17, you're like, oh my God, it's not that big of a difference, right? It's like, but part of that is just growing up, right? It's insane. <laughs> and I'm sitting there writing it down and I'm really like, there was a point where we went and met each other's families at Christmas. And I told mm-hmm. my mom I was going to marry him. I was mm-hmm. very, very serious. And then we go to his family and his mom told me that I should date his brother. <gasps> like, how where's the scarf? Where's the scarf? Where's the scarf? <laughs> and you're dating that your mom is like, wow, you shouldn't date him. You and guys I was like, I love him. Like, yeah. Like, no, yeah. Nuts. And then it came out by in a very in very dramatic fashion. It mm-hmm. came out that he had pretty much slept with anything with a pulse while mm-hmm. we were dating. And his best friend came up to me because I wasn't believing anyone. Right. And yeah. he, he was a master manipulator and uh-huh. I was not prepared for that kind of a manipulation because I was yeah. 17, 18 years yeah. old. And he his best friend came up to me, played this tape of all these girls admitting that they had slept with him. And what? Who is this detective? And Thank you. At the end of it, he was like, <laughs> He was like, have you only met me first? I love you. And I oh, and wow. bless this man's heart. But like he was, he was about three inches shorter than me. Yeah. And he like was not He was pining. Looking. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That's a thing. So then I go and I, and I, I show Confronted up to him. And I'm like, you may as mm-hmm. well like admit it. And the only girl he admitted to was a 16 year old. Oh like, my God. Which oh now, my God. looking back at my yeah. lovely little pattern, mm-hmm. was me completely freaking out because I was that kid that had something terrible happen to me. Mm-hmm. And he's this adult who's taking advantage of her. And I laid him out. I knocked his ass out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, she did. Well, I love that. Thank God. She I'm glad he got what he deserved. I knocked him out. And then his manipulative ass, he grabbed his face and he was like, you bitch, you broke my jaw. And I was like, if I broke your jaw, you wouldn't be able to talk. And then, <laughs> also, you're lucky. You're lucky. That's it. You're lucky. I didn't fucking rip your dick off. So right? let's. And then these two girls, these two guys, were walking across campus, and they were like, "Hey, girl, you all right?" And I was like, "Oh, I got this." <laughs> I love women. I love female solidarity. And literally, this man, this manipulative asshole sitting on the ground holding his face, and I uh-huh. have you know you get the adrenaline shakes yeah. when you kick somebody's yeah. butt. He, yeah, like, yeah. he was like, "Why do I want to hug you right now?" Yeah. And, and I was like. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh my God. But you know, it's like, it takes what it takes for us to see the reality oh, of, yeah. you know, to see the, the, the way people are. And I think there's something, there's so many, there's so much to that story, right? Because one of the things that reminds me of, it's like, I didn't learn to trust people were showing me who they were until I was much older. Like I didn't, you know, I always wanted to just see, I think some of that is cultural construction. I think some of that is about being girls. We get, we get taught to like give everyone a second chance. We get right. taught yeah. to like see the, see the, you know, the nice side of people or the bright side of things. I I'm really grateful. I think some of that's changing. Like I, I know that with my own stepdaughter, I'm like, look, you don't have to give anyone a second chance. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, she's 13. I don't, I don't want her thinking that she has to give her someone a second chance, especially a boy that treats her bad. Like she doesn't need to give him a second chance. He can learn how to change his behavior and come back in five years. You know, like we're done now. 
five-year hiatus. See you Absolutely. never. See you in five years. I don't know why, but I generally feel like five years is the amount of time it takes to change your life. So I'm always like, see you in five years. I'm down. That's, um, I'm down with that theory. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and it's like, it's so painful to think about some of those things, those coping mechanisms and those coping tools. And there came a stage where I had to look at, you know, my younger Heidi and just go like, man, 18 year old Heidi, you were really doing the best you could with what you had. And it, it wasn't much. And right. I'm really sorry that you felt like you had to make those decisions to feel safe or to feel loved. Because, you know, when I was 17 and 18, I was dealing with some fallout from my parents' divorce and stuff that was going on, some abandonment stuff. And I really kind of turned, I loved the idea of going far away so I could be whoever I wanted to, but I didn't realize how lonely that would be being whoever I wanted to. And that like really what would help me feel better. And so what helped me felt better during that time was getting really drunk a lot. And, um, and then, you know, connecting with men who were totally inappropriate and unavailable. No, I completely get that. I like, oh, love it. <laughs> um, something that I know Stacy really hit too was you break down the, in your opinion, there are three different kinds of unavailability. And <laughs> how do you feel about it, Stacy? <laughs> You're like, number one, they're not in the same city. I'm like, oh, get out of my life. <laughs> like, all of my key relationships have all been people that were like, not even out, either out of the city or out of state. And I'm like, yes, oh. or country. <laughs> Man, it was crazy. Oh, but that was the other thing. So, when Chelsea and I, when we started like doing your exercises, going through mm-hmm. the steps, and I was just like, <laughs> immediately people from our past came out of the blue. We didn't contact them, but people out of the past came out the blue. And I'm just like, this ain't nothing but the devil God. Cause I know (laughs) my Jesus is set up. Like you do something good for the Lord or for yourself. And here comes the devil trying to intercept. I was like, just so you get a good, that's right. You get a good opportunity to say no one more time to really close the door on it. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing when people resurface and they're like, give me another chance. I've changed, blah, 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 whatever. It's like, no, you don't get any more chances. I'm sorry. This is, you know, and it's hard because when they come back, they're trying, they're laying it on thick. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I just really feel like, you know, when we make really hard choices, we have the clarity that we need in the moment. We get those moments of clarity. We get the opportunity to act on it. And it's just so easy to be like, oh, maybe I was overreacting. Maybe like, no, you are not. Trust yourself. Trust yourself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, but you were all up in my business with that one. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, do better, like, Stacey. One, he doesn't live near you. And Stacy's like, <laughs> I know. I mean, and like my own personal experience was after I had this first boyfriend in the sixth grade where I was embarrassed that I didn't know who he was. And that, you know, I talk about it in the book. Um, then I really felt like I didn't know how to do relationships. So I felt like boyfriends at my school were not safe. So I only started dating boys that I knew like from outside of school. And then I only, you know, and then that really leveled up with the advent of the internet. It became very easy to meet people who were not near me. And, um, you know, and even before I finally bottomed out with men in relationships and did this work, one of the last guys I dated was a German national who lived in Nepal, who were like, they didn't ever have any like consistent electricity. And he and I rendezvoused in Las Vegas. And then also in Amsterdam, like, I, like, I'm sorry. Who am I? Am I like some kind of international spy or something? Like, this was crazy. Like, that's crazy, right? And it was, of course, wild and fun and exciting. But the last, you know, the last trip that he and I went on, we went in Amsterdam. And by the end of a seven-day stretch, I was like, oh, my God, I don't even like this guy. Because <laughs> I'm 
he is annoyed. And he, I'm sure he was annoyed with me. We were very much getting on each other's nerves because it was like, oh, we actually got to know who we we, we were, you know? Right. Otherwise, it's like you just swoop in and you're like, yeah, let's go see a movie. Let's go see we're their art museum. Let's go see, the, you know, it's like very much different energy than like, I have to go to the grocery store and get avocados and then I have to do my life and then I have to, you know, like do this. It's like very, very different energy. So that's a huge oh. one. Um, if he doesn't live near you, I think I, people don't like it. It's controversial, but he's not available. Another one is... Um, <laughs> recently divorced. I get this one a lot yeah. with women I work with. Oh, he's separated. Okay. First of all, that's not even divorced. He's not Thank even you. <laughs> uh, secondly, even if he is divorced, Oh, he's divorced. He got divorced three months ago. Okay. First of all, like literally nobody who has great communication skills gets divorced. Like I, I feel like as a divorcee, I can say this and I would probably say it anyway. If you end up divorced, even if, even if let's say that his wife cheated on him, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, she was so bad. She stepped out on him and he's been so great and faithful, blah, blah, blah. Look, if if that is the case, then he's got some baggage around why he would stay with someone with whom like their emotional connection is so dead. And she feels like she needs to step out on him. So like, he's still got work to do, even if he wasn't the one that like tanked, tanked the marriage, right? Because it takes right. two to tango. Right. And Absolutely. so I just feel like, you know, if he's separated, he's not single. And if he's divorced under a year, he's single, but he's not available because he's got to look at, he's got to unpack. Right. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. People who are great at marriage and relationships don't end up, don't end up divorced. <laughs> so, um, right. so that's a big one. And then the final one is there is this uh, level of emotional availability, which is kind of hard to identify. But I mean, one of the things uh, I will tell you right now, people who have substance issues, people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, they are probably very emotional, but they are not emotionally available. So like, I would not mm-hmm. suggest that anyone go down with that sinking ship. Um, I did that a lot too, before I got sober. And even in early sobriety, I, I dated a guy who was very much dying from his drinking and who I felt like, mm. I felt like, Oh my God, I could, I felt like I could maybe save him, you know? Yeah. Um, and I actually don't know if he's alive or dead, you know, but eventually I had to walk away from him because it was too dangerous for me to be like right next to this, to his alcoholism, killing him. Um, and then, uh, and then there's also something about like being mature and like, you know, if you go out on a date with a guy in the first day, he's telling you about how like, he's still mad at his mom because she, you know, his dad left and she remarried an asshole who's crazy. Like, uh, you know, and he's 40 and it happened when he was 13. Like he's got some work to do. Like you gotta, you know, because his, his stepdad may be a crazy asshole, but it's like, you need to find their, he's going to have to come to terms with like a better way of understanding that and communicating it. Like, so I'm not saying that like shitty shit doesn't happen. Shitty shit happens all the time. But in order for us to be emotionally available as partners, we have to learn how to acknowledge it, be aware of it, it, reintegrate our lives around it and with it and know that it's just part of the process or whatever is going on. And so it's like, you know, it's not okay to just be like whining like a baby about it when you're on a first date. (laughs) So right? right? Man, the I promise you. <laughs> right. Yeah, like it's not appropriate. Honestly, like I promise you, just number one, like I'm such a big advocate of this book because number one, I just Aww. it's just such a good read, but then it's like, wow, this is really some heavy material that we're talking about. And then to mm-hmm. do the exercises, I promise you, they're a game changer for me. I promise mm-hmm. you. Because oh, I it makes knew me, makes my heart full. I knew I had like, you know, one I knew I had one good pattern that I do, but I even saw it as a good thing. Like I always make sure to take care of people around me. It's like, I'm a good Mm -hmm. Christian. I take care Mm -hmm. of those around me. But then when I was putting down certain things and when I was looking at, you know, my numbers of people and when Mm -hmm. I saw like a flip and I'm like, where I saw like multiple flips, like, okay, Mm -hmm. something happened. And that's why the tone Mm -hmm. changed with my outlook on everything. So when I finally realized, um, 
what was it? Um, when I was in college, like I was talking to like this, we'll call him Mr. Hottie because dude. Yeah. Ooh, and so and- man and rich holler. So we were talking <laughs> and um, the next day or no, that night I turned off my phone. I would always keep my phone on because I didn't mm-hmm. drink till I was 21, but all my friends mm-hmm. would drunk dial me before oh, yeah. 11 PM and 4 AM. And I was like, that is like- so sweet that they're thinking of me. <laughs> like, oh, so I would always keep my phone on. And especially if like something happened, like yeah. I could go help them. And Mm -hmm. so I had a really rough week. Um, so I decided, you know what, I haven't gotten a decent night's sleep in ages. I'm going to turn my phone off so I can Mm. just sleep through the night. So I woke Mm -hmm. up the next morning and I turned my phone on at like 1230 PM. Mm -hmm. And I got a voicemail from my mom saying your dad, you know, had an aneurysm. We don't know if he's (gasps) going to make it. And he's fine now. You would never know. He's fine. Great. Wow. And so, but at that time I was so guilt ridden because, and I was like, shame on me for wanting to get a full night's sleep when in mm. fact my dad was dying oh. and I should have been there with my family. So ever mm. since then, I always make sure to do whatever I can to help other people, oh, but yeah. you can't, but you can't pour yourself out to other people without filling up your own cup first. Oh, my and God. I didn't realize that was the moment it had happened. Yeah. So that's why I'm such a huge advocate of this because like Chelsea was saying that we have like different paths for mm-hmm. certain things. And I was like, Oh, I'm only going to have four people. Um, the fact that you have to look at emotional connections. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. I had no idea that was the starting point and how I've carried that through not only relation. Well, I guess all yeah. relationships, but even like my work life, I yeah. carry that through. I'm like, I will exhaust myself. I will make mm-hmm. sure everyone's okay. And then on weekends I'm burnt out. I just, yeah. I just sleep because I have nothing more to give. That's such a powerful story to share because really for me, it makes me think about as I've gotten older and as I did this work and started to write down just the things that were my part. And I started to, sometimes I, like I said, you know, sometimes I cringe, sometimes I cry, sometimes I scream. But at the end of the day, I started to realize like all of these emotions and all of these things are about are, are part of being human, are part of having a human experience. And so much of the expectation that I create for myself, I know so many women who do this too, is that we're superhuman. And like, we are, we don't, we don't get jealous. We don't get guilty. We don't get, uh, you know, we don't forget to do stuff. We, you know, we're, we're better than that. We're, you know, we just hold ourselves to this insane standard and it makes it really hard to just give ourselves some compassion and love for being human and having like, you know, a human moment being like really leaning into our humanity. And I appreciate your vulnerability about sharing that story. I will tell you, I got in a one last fight with my dad before he died about a week before he was in hospital and we were fighting and that felt awful. Right. And, um, he wanted to go home and everyone at hospital was telling us he should stay there in hospice care. And they made a great argument, which is that if you stay in hospice care, the family can grieve and the caregivers can care give. And like, you don't have to try to do it all. And so that's what we did, but we got in a huge fight about it. And for years, probably three years after he died, I, I was so guilt-ridden about having argued with my dad on his deathbed. Um, And eventually I had to kind of forgive myself and just go, look, I'm a human. All I could do was make the best choice with the information I had. I couldn't have known the future. I didn't know what he would have done if he would have gone home. Like, who knows, right? It's like, so how can we take those moments that are so tremendously painful and instead of using them to like flagellate ourselves and, and like spread ourselves thinner, how can we take those moments and, and use them as a place to go, to comfort ourselves and go, man, I'm just a human. And I, I didn't, I can't see the future. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen. And all I was trying to do is just take care of myself. You know, I'm like giving myself a little hug as I like, I just, yeah. you know, like, oh, I know. right. I feel so it's like, yeah, I just think like, that's so powerful to take, to be able to identify that moment and see like where it's caused you to spread yourself thin in order to punish yourself. 
you can mm-hmm. go, oh, how can I celebrate myself and love myself and forgive myself and say like, man, I, I was just being a human. I was tired. It, it's not a personal, I didn't personally do it to make sure that I missed my dad or whatever. It's like, I just, right. I was being, t- I was being, I was having, I'm human. I'm human. And I'm going right. to feel all the emotions, all the things that come along with that it doesn't make me less of, or, or anything like that. It's really powerful stuff. Wow. That made my heart sore. I just, y'all are my we new best friends. We've been on, um, uh, you know, we're very open on our show. Uh, mm-hmm. People, our listeners know what's going on in our lives and what we, we're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like two years ago, um, Stacy went through a really, I'm like so proud of her for this epiphany that she went through because she is, has always been like, I don't care how much is in, is in my basket. If you need it, it's mm-hmm. yours. Like mm-hmm. the shirt off my back is yours. She had a boyfriend who she only, she drove to him. Um, and he never came to see her. It was mm-hmm. always the one-sided thing. Mm-hmm. And about two years ago, Stacy confided, like, or expressed to me, she realized that nobody ever asks her how she is mm-hmm. because she's conditioned her friendships to yes. disregard her and only yes. like people would literally call Stacy and be like, "Hey, what's up?" So here's what's going on with me. Like, yeah. not even, not even, yeah, ask, like, everyone. And then mm-hmm. and it's. Exactly what you said. I condition I conditioned them. I trained them to do that. So mm. with me, like with an administrative background, I always like keep tabs of things. So then like, okay, <laughs> Heidi's calling me and um she's just like, Hey Stacy, how are you? I'm like, her. Good, Heidi. Like, you know, how'd you like yeah. that new curl product that you tried? Oh, like what's going on <laughs> with you know, your husband? Are you guys taking that cruise in two years? Because life is mm-hmm. crazy. I'll go through my checklist yeah. for other people just to make sure mm-hmm. you're doing okay. Because if you ask me how I'm doing, that forces me to confront how I'm feeling. And I don't do that. I love that you have that awareness because for those of us that are good at holding space for other people, it's actually much more comfortable to just sit there and ask them questions and let somebody else talk about them. And like one of the things that I had to learn, talk about the questions we've asked, one of the things I had to learn to do and that I had to learn to do with my girl gang and why I had to do it with women first is because like the stakes were a little bit lower. So I had to start coming to women who I trusted with my shit because I was so much more comfortable listening to their shit and asking them all the questions and proving to them like what a great memory I have. And yeah, like I know, you know, demonstrating to them what a good friend I am, all that stuff. It's like, I really had to learn how to, how to be vulnerable with people. I had no idea how to do it because I was so used to holding space for everyone else. So how do I, in an appropriate and like normal way, start trusting the women in my life and start calling them when I need them and start calling and start to say, Hey, that's great. But I have to tell you this. I need you to Mm -hmm. listen to me for a minute. I need to vent. I need you to hear this because I was, I need, I needed to practice that with women so that I could do it. And now I can do it with my husband. Right. But like, it felt like, I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like the stakes are higher when I have to do that in a romantic relationship. So I was really glad that I had all the practice doing it with other women in my life and starting to go part of friendship is that it's reciprocal is that there's give and take. And if I'm always taking in form of holding space, and I'm never giving you any parts of me, then you don't really know me. Then we're not really, it's not really right. It, you know? And that's like, Oh, that's a, such a big deal. That is like, that is huge, a huge revelation to have about how we show up for ourselves and for others and how important it is to let other people show up for us. I was thinking about that. There's a part in the book where I was talking to some friends who I was like, Oh, I'm not sure about this. Like, I don't know what Mr. Husband's going to do when I tell him X, Y, or Z. And they were like, you have to give him the opportunity to show up to for show you. show up for yeah. you, girl. I wrote it down. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know that what one funny? took me out. <laughs> it, it's so true because. 
because I have been probably in the last six months been more open with my friends about my history and thing. The reasons that, mm-hmm. because I am a very bright and shiny person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't like to show people like, nice. I actually, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a curvy woman. I have always mm-hmm. been a bigger girl in comparison to my friends at whatever age we were, mm-hmm. but now I'm a, now I'm a curvy woman. Like that mm-hmm. is the life I am. And I, where I went out with a bunch of my friends and I wore this cute little crop top and a super high waisted. So it showed like this much of my stomach. Mm-hmm. And, but I have a little tattoo. I was all excited. And my one friend turned to me cause I looked at, I looked at her and I was like, I was like, does this look okay? Or should I go change? Cause like, I'll go change. And she goes, what are you talking about? You're like the most confident person I know. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, this is a whole bag of all sorts of stuff. And she later in the day was like, I'm really glad that you told me that you actually have insecurities because mm-hmm. you have a really, really strong wall up. And she goes, you know, mm-hmm. you can always talk to me. And it was like, that's not what I, I, I don't know if it's, I, you always just assume people are going to take what you consider a weakness as a weakness. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, she mm-hmm. just took it as like, this is another piece of you that I also love. Yeah. It's like a good opportunity for them. Like I always, I try to encourage women that I work with, like to share that stuff with their friends because your friends just want to know you better. Right. You know, they just want to know how you really are. And like, they want to know you better. They want to hear you rant and rave about how pissed off you are about size double extra small or whatever. Right. Right? Like (laughs) they want to hear you rant and rave about whatever it is. They want to hear you. What's really, they want to hear what you're heartbroken over. And, you know, um, and so it's just, it's, it's a hard veneer to break through. It's a hard wall to break down when you're, when you're, especially, I think for those of us that are used to being the sounding board for people, um, yeah. to go, Oh, I need to make sure that I'm letting my friends show up for me. I need to make sure that I'm getting, I'm letting them get to know me better. I need to make sure that, um, that oh, I can't remember the third thing I was gonna say, but whatever, you know, like just that I'm, I'm, that I'm sharing my humanness with them. Who wants to be friends with someone that's perfect? I want to be friends with someone that's human. Absolutely. And it took me a hard time to like even start that process. But then Mm. now from reading your book, I'm just like, oh, wow, I've got, got a lot of work to do. Well, you're doing it, which is so, you know, I mean, that's the thing, right? None of it happens overnight. It takes what it takes to, to be able to see what we don't know. And then like, we just kind of keep trying to do something different, you know? And it's so, it's really beautiful. I have just really... This has been such a delightful interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. I don't know if we're done or not. I, I just needed to say well. thank you. <laughs> if you can tell, we're, we, we, we were okay with the book. It was okay. No, we love this book. Like, yeah. I mean, especially because like there are a, little, a lot of people out there who are in their 30s and they've already been in a like I live with a boyfriend or I've been mm-hmm. married and all that stuff. Like Stacey and I have never done that. And mm-hmm. so it's definitely something where it's like, I'm not like breaking down where my, my struggles are so I can be who I need to be for my future potential husband. Yes. I, I love, I love the putting in like Stacey and I are like, we're, we're putting in the work. We're going to, we're going to put in the work. So that way once they see, okay, this is the person she knows who she is. She knows what she needs. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to introduce her to the person that she's actually going to walk with. I've always said, I don't need my second half. I need yeah. my, I need my second whole person because I'm yes. a whole person yep. yes. and I refuse to be a half of anything. No, and- <laughs> I think that's so smart. I love it. Yeah. Now here's the fun. I want to talk about Mr. Husband. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, let's talk about long, Mr. Husband. Like how long did you know?
know him before you guys got married? How long? Oh, okay. So we, let's see, we started dating in 2014 and it's 2020. So at least we've been together for six years. Um, but we knew each other for two years before that. He also is a member of 12 step recovery. He does 12 step recovery for his alcoholism. I do 12 step recovery for my alcoholism. Um, and I would, I do put a little disclaimer in the book. I would normally not recommend, like, it's not a great dating pool. It's not well people's anonymous. Like there are some, if you're going to date there, there's like some general suggestion I have around it. But so we knew each other for two years and we did not date at that time. And we really barely even talked to each other. And then we went on this date that I did not realize was a date because I, it's so funny how people can recall things differently. I was like, Oh, Jeff J just called me and he wants to meet me at this dinner at this place for dinner. I'm like, that's fine. I had like cut off shorts and a flannel on or whatever. And, um, and later he's like, um, I recall that phone call very differently. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I called you and told you that I love spending time with you and that I wanted to spend more time with you. And like, would you please join me for dinner? And I'm like, I don't feel like that's how that phone call went. (laughs) I loved it when you said that in the book. I loved it. I remember being, you know, having the date being over and being like, wait a minute, did I just go on a date with this guy? And he's like, no, we were very clearly on a date. And then uh, we went out to Seattle and we saw a football game or a baseball game together, which was great. I mean, the beautiful thing about um, what happened was uh, after I did all the work that I outlined in the book, like I said, it took me 11 months to do. It does not have to take you that long to do. I actually work, I'm currently working with a number of women who are doing it in about four to six months. Um, And I got done with that. And during that time, I did not have any one-on-one contact with other men. So I wasn't messaging anyone or DMing anyone, dating anyone, any of that stuff. So I kind of felt like, okay, I'm done now. I'm going to open my front door. And then the universe is just going to drop a hot guy, like right on my doorstep. I'm ready for my husband now. I keep saying, like, Michael B. Jordan. (laughs) Michael B. Jordan is just going to bust through my window. You guys would be so cute together. Oh, my God. So, um, so of course. Oh, they'd be so cute together. Um, so I was like, opened my door the first day that I was like done with this stuff. And like, there was no one there. And so then I went on a series of really shitty dates. And one of the things I learned about myself, which I talk about those in the book, I won't spend time here talking about them. But one of the things I learned through all this work is I kind of learned to fail faster at dating. So in the old days, like I would date a guy who was unavailable, unavailable, and I would chase him for like months. Like we are talking months. And I love that I learned after doing this work, like time is my most valuable asset. And especially if I'm in the space where I'm looking for a relationship, like I do not have time anymore for this of like, well, if you look at the fifth picture, he's kind of cute. And if you tilt it this way and look, he's got a flannel on and there's, oh, there's a dog. That's really cute. The dog's really cute. Like, no. (laughs) <laughs> My girlfriend Sandy puts it the best. When you go to Nordstrom and you are shopping for shoes, you do not put shoes you do not like. You don't even try them on. So what are you doing on Tinder? Squinting, turning the thing, deciding that it's okay because he's got a cute dog. So the first thing, I had a history of settling for men that I was not attracted to. So one of the first things I had to do when I went back to dating was like, I got to want to jump this guy right off the bat. Like, I'm, I'm not saying mm-hmm. I'm going to do that, but I need to be physically attracted. Yes, that has absolutely. to be like, that was a big thing for me. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to say that. I'm not ashamed to say it. That's the big thing. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of, I I feel like that should be a general rule. We do not have time to be playing games around like, oh, if I look at it under this light or maybe because he's out with a canoe or some shit like that. You got to want to make (laughs) the canoe. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I just had like a three day conversation with a guy who on Tinder, all his pictures are canoes. Like it's, there's like a picture of like six canoes lined up and underneath it says I'm on the left. (laughs) That's kind of funny. (laughs) <laughs> it was very funny. It was very funny. And then it turned into a little bit weird because I was like, how long have you been doing this? And he was like, oh, my last canoe profile, I was a bisexual girl canoe. And I'm like, 
Oh, too far. (laughs) Not because of bisexuality, but just like really took the, I mean, just really took the analogy way, way beyond weird. So many things, but yeah. So So many things. Um, so yeah, so I started, so I returned to dating with this approach of like, okay, I'm not going to fuck around with anyone that I'm not attracted to. Okay. But then, you know, I would find a guy, you know, like I went on a date with this one guy. I will talk about this. I went on a date with this one guy who asked me to meet him, um, at a, a park, which I guess in the Pacific Northwest is not like that weird. It'd be weird to do in Ohio. I, it would, <laughs> it would be weird to do in Iowa to go to a park to meet somebody. Uh, but anyway, I met this guy at this park and, uh, he was like, he made me some kind of grilled salmon or something. And then he asked me to go back to his house, which I knew what I was getting into. So I'm like, okay. But I also was trying something new. I was trying not to have sex with anyone until I'd gone. I was actually trying not to kiss anyone until I'd gone on four dates, which we'll talk about in a second. um, But so by extension of that, I was obviously not trying to sleep with anyone on the first date. So I go back to his house knowing that I'm not going to have sex with him because I'm already committed to trying something different. And he's like, oh, come on, let's like go to the bone zone. And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Okay, first of all, this is such a poor question to ask. Right. Nobody, nobody should ask this question. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? You could murder me and chop me up into a million pieces and stuff me in an oil drum and no one would ever hear from me again. Like that's yeah. one of the worst things that could happen. You could give me some kind of sexually transmitted disease. I could get pregnant. I mean, I just started listing off all these things as I was walking out the door. Yeah. So prior to doing this work though, I would have caved to what he wanted, decided yeah. that I liked him. I would have, I maybe, maybe if I didn't cave to what he wanted, I still would have chased him for months anyway. So what happened was I started to discover that I had standards and I started to kind of fail faster at dating where I started to go. I started to become willing to trust that the person that I was looking for was out there. And that if we, I went on a date with someone and it was clear to me that this was not the person, it was okay to say bye. Like I kind of moved out of the scarcity mindset of like, this is the best I'll ever get. This is the only thing that's Mm -hmm. out here. And into, I know that what I'm looking for is out there and it's okay that it, that you're not it. It's, and it's actually not a problem that it's not you and it's really not me. It's just that you're not it. Right. And so instead of hanging on to something that I would have hung on something that was wrong for me, which I usually would hang on to that for like a good six to nine months. Like I started to go, nope, 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 nope. Kind of just like cut the wheat from the chaff more quickly. Um, yeah. And so then I had this suggestion was made to me that I wait for four dates before I kiss anyone. And I was like, really not interested in taking that suggestion. Cause I'm like, oh, fuck, I've already been waiting a whole year and now I got to. <gasps> So, but I give this suggestion to people still, because I think it's an excellent way to establish a boundary with someone and to see how they react to it. Because the reality is like, it does not take that long to go on four dates. You could go, you really technically, you could go on four dates in a week. Right. Right. And if you put this boundary out there, it's a good opportunity to say to someone, Hey, I'm just, I'm taking some suggestions, somebody, or you can even just say, look, I just, I don't want to kiss until the fourth date. It's just a thing. I'm just trying it, whatever. And if you get a lot of negotiation, what about the second? Well, what if we did the third? Well, what if we did one date overnight? Did that, you know, like this guy cannot respect your boundaries. So he's already giving you information about how willing he is to hear what you're saying and respect it. And um, if you're getting a lot of arguing, how come I don't understand? It's the same thing. Like, I'm not asking you to like, I don't know. I'm not asking you to do a 40 day fast. I'm asking you to do four dates without kissing, right? You know, it doesn't mean we can't hold hands. doesn't mean we can't text. It just means like we can't kiss, right? So I think it's a really good litmus test for how men can hear a boundary or how a partner, a potential partner can hear a boundary that you're setting and whether or not they can like be mature enough to respect it. So anyway, I had that, uh, I had been following that suggestion with Mr. Husband and honestly, it was just so great because it gave us the space to really get to know one another. We, I tried to count our dates faster. He was very much, he's very much by the book. Like I told him once, oh my God, he's gonna, I, I don't know if he's in the other room. But we were, um, 
We were dating early. Tell dating. Me said hi. Right. <laughs> hi. We're big fans. <laughs> we had uh, we had become committed to one. Like we'd committed to each other. We were uh, monogamous, and we were laying on my couch, I think. And he like started to feel me up, and I was like, you know what? This is gonna sound weird, but I just I can't have you touch my boobs when we're on the couch. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> and I was like. I don't know. It's just old stuff of like feeling like I, you know, feeling like I've been in a space with men where like, I thought we were just like going to fall asleep and watch a show. And then all of a sudden we're like doing stuff. And like, I just, I don't know. I just don't like it. You can touch my boobs really any other time, but just like when we're on the couch snuggling, watching something, like I want to be able to just settle into that and not yeah. think like, is, are we going somewhere? Like, you know, whatever. Like, so I told, I must've told, yeah, exactly. I must've told him that like six years ago, five years ago. And he literally has never touch <gasps> my boobs while we're on the couch. Right. Like he takes every time I tell him something about like, he remember, he listens, he remembers, he files it away. He never breaks the rule. Like he never breaks the rule. Right. He, he, and sometimes I'll be like, Hey babe, you've never bubble. And he's like, well, five years ago, you told me you didn't want me to do that. And so I, now I don't do it anymore. And I'm like, Oh my God, this man listens and loves me and respects me. And he, and like, and one of the most powerful things for us has been for me has been that he is really very good at holding space and very rooted in, in the security of our relationship that he knows that our relationship is resilient and reciprocal. Those are the two R's. I don't actually get that much into that in the book, but that I think is really a good foundation for relationships, reciprocal and resilient. Resilient means it can withstand um, people being honest about their feelings. It can withstand an argument. It can withstand uh, the the kind of stuff that happens to us out life on life's term stuff. And reciprocal means like we're both showing up to it. So we're both surfacing to say, hey, I don't feel good about this. Or, hey, I feel jealous. Or, hey, I feel threatened or whatever. And one of the things I love about learning to communicate with him is that I've learned this kind of system of communicating, which is that first I have to identify the feeling. I feel threatened. And then I have to identify the need. And I need you to be more affectionate with me right now. And when I can I get that, that right, when I get that clear on what the problem is and how I'm feeling, that's like a totally different conversation than like, oh my God, I saw that you were texting with blah, 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 right? That's like a whole different right. way to approach it. So um, I love that this man loves me and that I love him and that he continues to be able to hold space for me to grow and to be patient with the growth that I have and that I'm able to be patient with the growth that he has to do. And that really we are, like you were saying, two whole people. And we get to meet each other where we're at and like we get to grow together. And sometimes I grow this way and he grows this way, but then we come together and like, you know, so, um, it's really a beautiful, it's been a really beautiful experience. That's so, okay. <sighs> He's fantastic. Have you seen <gasps> Frozen 2? No, I have not. I need to. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, this is, stu- it's so stupid, but this is how my brain works. You're, you're saying this. And I literally remember thinking there's, um, oh, I don't, I don't even know his name, but the main guy. Uh-huh. Christian, Chris, Christoph, his okay. name. So there's a point where everything happens and him and his girlfriend kind of have like a moment where they're not, but he's been trying to propose to her the whole movie. And then she comes up to him at the end and she's like, I'm so sorry. I've been so focused on this other thing. And he looks at her and he goes, that doesn't matter. My love is not fragile. And it's Aww. like, oh, Ooh, that gave me goosebumps. I can't believe I haven't seen Frozen 2. <laughs> right? Right? Like, lumber party. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. And that's true. Right. Our love. And that has been, and it takes work. Right. I mean, we have to both show up like that is the thing too. I think one of the last kind of like misconceptions that I think, I don't know if it's the last misconception we're going to talk about. What am I saying? I'm just going to say this. I feel like people think that intimacy is built on like 
uh, picnics under the sun and romantic dates on a merry-go-round if you're not in a serial killer movie or something. Like people think that intimacy is built in these like extreme high moments. And I actually really have come to believe that intimacy is built in these difficult conversations, in the willingness to talk to one another when things are going sideways, in the space that we have to hold for one another when somebody's having a bad day. I just think that true intimacy is kind of built in the trenches. And that is where we learn that our love for one another isn't fragile and that our relationship is resilient to whatever is coming, coming, whatever ups and downs we have. And so I think that that has been really an interesting um I feel grateful to have had the opportunity to explore it with him. Goals, man. Goals. Yes. <laughs> we cannot um, thank you enough. I'm obsessed Nathan, with you guys. Do you, have, do you have more books coming out on the horizon? <laughs> That's sweet. I uh, I don't know. There is <laughs> occasionally I think about writing a book about step parenting because I step parent a 13 year old and it is, uh, and she is, I write about her a little bit in this book. She is absolutely, um, sunshine and I have a very easy step parenting experience. Um, and that is sometimes hard to reconcile with the fact that it is still a challenging thing to do. And I feel like, you know, there are people who feel like they can talk about the challenging nature of step parenting because they have a kid that has behavioral issues or, oh, you know, it's like my kid Mm. is a perfect rainbow like she is she's like all rainbows and and I still am like oh sometimes this is harder than I thought it was going to be so I'm thinking about writing a book about that but I don't know I can't commit to it because right now I'm just still having so much fun with this one (laughs) right so are we there's so much there's and it is it is about the work and I want to make sure everybody who's listening and watching knows that you are actually extremely um succinct on Instagram you do little like snippet videos oh yeah 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 which is great. Also, your hair is like different in everyone, and I love it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Depends on how long it's been since I've washed it. <laughs> Preach my life. Preach my life. <laughs> you guys, I have to tell you that Jeff bought us a toilet seat that has like a wash lid on it, which is like a little bidet function. So it's a heated yes. seat, and then it's got a little bidet function. And at first, I was like, I don't know if we need this, whatever. And then he bought it for us over the holidays, and it was great because in the dead of winter, it's like, oh, I get to sit up and get on this heated seat. It's so nice. warm. Um, yeah, and I'm like, oh my god, between the bidet and the dry shampoo situation, I may never shower again. I don't. I may never shower again. I don't know if it's really going to happen. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> like, I need nothing now. I need, I need nothing. Why for nothing? Yourself a wash list and dry shampoo, and you're all set. <laughs> all you need. I love now, it. Did you, when you got married, did you wear a suit again, or did you? I did not. Do I I did wedding? do the full. I did the full wedding. I'm trying to think of. I think I have a picture of him and I up here on my <gasps> desk. Let me see if I can show you guys. Let's see. Here <gasps> we are. Oh, Looking oh. like models. I'm a brunette in that one. You guys. Oh, thank you. You feel those jawlines? Right? <laughs> and I'm That's obsessed cute. with my jawline. I promise we're soulmates. Like, yeah. like, where can I find more pictures of them? I'm like digging through my oh. anyways. Uh, so yeah, so I did. We did the whole thing. We did the and that uh, partly because I mean I wanted to more than anything, I wanted to celebrate our experience with our friends and family, you know? So, uh, so yeah, we did the whole thing. Our anniversary is six, three, 18 or our wedding day is six, three, 18. So we're coming up on two years and two year anniversary in quarantine, which will be great. So it's really good. I can't remember. Did I send you ladies? It sounds to me like Stacy got audible and Chelsea, did you get paperback or did you get I Kindle? Did. I did. I got, got Kindle. I got Kindle. Oh, you got Kindle. Um, I feel like now under normal circumstances, I would send extras for you guys to do a giveaway, but I, I, paperback has been hard to get out but if you guys want to run a giveaway let me know who the winner is and i'll send them a copy of the book oh my god that's awesome we would love let's do it yeah that'd be great 
And they can, well, and they can decide. You guys can let me know who it is and let me know what format they want. And then I will, I'll get it to them. So good. So awesome. I, um, so listen, I mean, like I, Stacey and I are pretty, pretty darn single right now. And especially in this quarantine life, I mean, do you have, obviously you have advice and, and and a lot of it, obviously. (laughs) It's like you have a book, but is there anything that you, um, that you would tell girls like single women living in this quarantine world Mm -hmm. right now? Because I have to tell you, I literally yesterday had such a, uh, a crappy experience on the dating apps that I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I gotta walk away because I'm getting yeah. like people being like, I'll be your, you can, I'm, I'm your daddy. So yeah. like, I'm going to pay money, but like, yeah, what do you, what would you recommend? <laughs> what would you recommend for the single lady do? Well, here's what I first think first on top of reading your book. <laughs> first of all, I think don't panic. Like there will come a time when dating goes back. I, th- I believe there will come a time when dating goes back to normal where we can see people face to face. Like, so don't trip. Cause it's okay. Like, I think one of the things that we get so hung up, one of the things I got hung up on that caused me a lot of pain was like the five-year plan I'd built for myself and how I thought it was supposed to look. And the more I hung on to how I thought everything was supposed to look, the more painful it was when things didn't look that way. So I say, don't trip, set aside your five-year plan. If you want to check out the book, do the work. I mean, you got the time anyway, you may as well. It's not right. like, and it's like, it's a pretty quick listen. It's like only a three hour book to listen to. And like, yeah. depending on how long it takes you to do the work, whatever. Um, And then I would also say like, when you return to dating, if you are in a space where you are committed to finding a relationship, right? Just start weeding out the separating the wheat from the chaff. No, just more no's than yeses, right? Because your time is incredibly valuable. Like, I don't even know what y'all really do, but I just know how hard it is to do a full-time anything and run a podcast and have friendships and have a life. And so it's like, you have a lot of um, demands on your time. And so, you know, he's going to have to be or they're going to have to be like somebody special to get on that roster, to get in rotation. Right. So, um, so that's my first, uh, the first thing I would say is trust that everything that there will come a time where we're back to -to face-to-face dating, trust that your five-year plan has not been disrupted by this break. Take some more time to get to know what a bad bitch you are so that you know that, you know, you're not taking anybody who's not on board with that. And then know that like, we don't put anyone on the rotation that doesn't light our hearts on fire. So if it's not a, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Right to me. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I said, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. You, my pleasure. This was literally the most delightful thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The book is relationship ready. How to, how I stopped fucking randos and started cupcaking my soulmate. It's available now on Amazon and Audible. Get your copy. We are going <laughs> to absolutely give do a giveaway. So somebody's going to get their copy for free. Yep. Thank you so much for coming wow. on our show. My pleasure. I, uh, I feel like we're ready to put in the work. We're ready to put in the work. <laughs> I know. I need to know. I'll need to follow up with you in like a month or something just to see where everyone's heads at. Like, I'll check back in with you. We'll email you. (laughs) I'll email you. Stacey, you don't have to worry about it. You don't keep track. I'm going to email you. (laughs) It's amazing. Look at this. The work is being done still. It's being done. You just do you. Live your life. I'll be in touch. And then Heidi has, um, Heidi's on Facebook and Mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram at Mm -hmm. honeybee52. That's right. Which actually and was an old dating profile. Better than Unst to 18, thank God. Live your best <laughs> life, 
Um, and she has such great stuff on there. Like I did a bunch of spelunking. I totally cyber stalked you. Yes. I'm not mad at it. Good. Well, you know what, actually, and I just did, uh, I just did a webinar. I did a free webinar this weekend on how to stop people pleasing. So if, uh, if you subscribe to my mailing list, I'll send it to you. And you can send it on to anyone else, but I've almost always got some kind of freebie for joining my email list. And so you can do that. Um, and then also I do, this is my, this is my life. It's my passion. It's my business. So I do offer one-on-one coaching. So anyone who's out there that's feeling like stuck, like they can't do it out of a book or whatever, like it's like, just, um, hit me up and like, let's talk about getting down to work together. Cause I, you know, I left that boring desk job so I could help women, um, be in this work and be in this work with women. So definitely, uh, email is Heidi at Heidi B coaching. Com. Also, it's easy. It's very easy to get in touch with me on Instagram too. So we're all set. Yes, I, I always tell it. people therapy and coaching is key. And if you're looking for a great first step, this is the way to do it. Oh, Heidi awesome. Bushy, everyone. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Stay home, stay safe, do whatever you need to do. I'm Chelsea. I'm Stacy. And this is Reasons Why. Hey, bye. bye.